0: We've been in this kind of a quasi-series as we explore our, really, our mission scripture for the year. We're pressing into the last couple weeks and the, the couple weeks including today to come, this idea of what do we benefit from being honest with God, honest with each other? What do we benefit from being obedient to the Lord and respecting each other? And today, we're going to continue to talk about that on. Uh, Monday last, I sat down in my little nook at Starbucks and I just asked, Lord, what do you want me to talk about with the students on Sunday? What do you want us to be thinking about this week? And he led me to a very specific scripture, which is going to lead us to a specific scripture. So I have no doubt in my heart that what we are going to talk about today is exactly what God wants us to talk about today. So if you're like, oh, I'm just here as a tourist today, just checking it out, um, God has something bigger for you. So tune your ears as I open us up with a quick little story from 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Once, an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of one million men and 300 chariots. Therefore, the Judean king, Asa, a man who believed and obeyed God, deployed his armies for battle. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you, not me, not my army, not my commanders, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. Now a couple clarifiers before I wrap this story up, but King Asa was God's kid, so are you. King Asa felt powerless in this moment, so are we. King Asa was facing odds that were way beyond him, and you and I do on a daily basis. So if you're hearing this and thinking, this is old school chariot war, this has nothing to do with me, this has everything to do with you. What's your battle? What's that thing that you feel powerless in the face of? Is it a decision about where to go to college next year? Is it a decision about who to date, when to say when, when to say no? Is it a decision about whatever Just get that in your mind as we continue. Asa cried out to the Lord, his God, Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty. So help us, O Lord, our God. For we trust in you alone, only you. It is in your name that we have come against this vast horde, O Lord, you are our God, Do not let mere men prevail against you. And so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah, and the enemy fled. Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar, and so many Ethiopians fell that they were unable to rally. They were destroyed by the Lord and his army. And then the army of Judah carried off a vast amount of plunder. You guys, I I don't know if you've ever been to D.C. for like an inauguration or like some giant event where people gather for a cause. They happen once in a while here and there throughout the year, but a million people. Can you imagine what that would look like? If you've been to whatever they call it these days, NRG, Reliant, I don't know, if you've been to a Texans game and imagine that stadium packed to the gills, I think it's like 50,000. A million people just marched up over this hill, and there's God's kids, there's their city, and they're like, we're wiping it out today. And Asa has half that number. And in old school military, before buttons and rockets and whatnot, numbers were all that mattered. So if I've got a million and you got 500,000, I'm gonna win. It's just simple math. And Asa has no chance of winning, they are vastly outnumbered. So what's he do? He gathers his people together, but then he prays to God. He didn't go to his war council. He didn't say break out the catapults. He didn't make all kinds of plans. He gathered his people together, and he prayed. And then the army of God defeated those million people whose sole purpose was to destroy them. And you note, and you need to note this. It wasn't Asa's human army. It said the Lord and his army defeated them. And then Asa's army just rolled through and picked up all the gold and treasure and swords and silver that were left over. Asa's boys didn't have to do nothing except for walk through and, like, pick up treasure on the ground. It was God himself, and it was a heavenly spiritual army that showed up on the field of battle that day, and wiped out an impossible situation just like that. Now, I read this, and I know this is the passage God led me to as I asked, what do we need to be thinking about this week? What do you want us to hear? And so I asked myself, why is God reminding us about the spiritual battle that exists, the spiritual forces at work in and around our lives? And I'm Come to mind this passage from Revelation in chapter 12, and this is a passage from the book, the last book of the Bible. This is the end of the story, and yet it's referencing something that happened in the beginning in Genesis when Satan tempted Adam and Eve. He got cast out of the garden, he was punished, and so were the angels that supported him. So, there's all these angels. And Lucifer, Satan, was one of them in heaven, and they blatantly disregarded God. They blatantly disobeyed. They attacked people, Adam and Eve, because they were jealous of God's affection toward us. And they were cast down. And Revelation chapter 12 says, I saw a large red dragon, Satan, with seven heads and ten horns and with seven crowns on his heads. And his tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky angels, and he threw them to earth. So there's Satan, and he's cast down to earth, where this is like kind of a holding pin for him until the events of Revelation come to pass, and then he's cast into the lake of fire with all his support, all of his evil angels. They're all down here with us right now, and they're all just waiting for the end, and all they have to do with their time is to mess with us and tempt us and trip us up. And God is reminding us of the spiritual battle to remind us of this, we are not alone down here. You guys know my example that I use, but when you're alone in your room at night, and your mind is going a mile in a minute in every direction, and you have no control over your thoughts, and you know that 99 times out of 100, your thoughts are just depressing and defeating, and you're thinking that you're garbage and you should take your life, or you're just unforgivable, do you really think that you are alone in those moments? Or is your spiritual enemy who is here to lie to you and destroy you and steal from you in the room, around your house, just saying, you suck. You're going to fail. God doesn't love you. Do you really think that's coming from you? Or do you think that the spiritual war is real and you're being poked and prodded and tempted and discouraged? I'm here to tell you, it's the latter. How not alone are we down here? Well, I would ask this question to answer it. How many stars are in the sky? If Satan was cast down and it says a third of the stars in the sky is our reference point for how many angels were thrown down to earth with him, how many stars are in the sky? Who wants to guess? How many stars are in the sky overhead? Anybody got a guess? Any science nerds or people that love watching National Geographic? Who's got a guess for me? There's no wrong answers, except for most of them will be wrong. But does anybody want to take a crack at it? At least seven stars. We are on the right path. I agree. Who else? What do you got? Give me a number. Four million, 20. 4 million and twenty. That's a weird number, Kyle. What do you got? Something hundred million? Seven hundred million. I like the seven theme right here. What do you got, honey? One million. We're going down. We should be going up. Billion. You got to enunciate those B's, girl. Listen. Listen to this. Astronomers estimate that the observable universe, that's just what we can see from Earth. There's a lot we can't see. The observable universe has more than 100 billion galaxies. Our own Milky Way is home to around 300 billion stars. But it is not representative of galaxies in general. The Milky Way is a titan compared to abundant but faint dwarf galaxies and in turn is dwarfed itself by rare giant elliptical galaxies, which can be 20 times more massive. All that to say, by measuring the number and the luminosity of observable galaxies, astronomers put current estimates of the total stellar population, all the stars in the observable universe, at roughly 70 billion trillion. I don't even know how to picture a number like that. It's big. It's bigger than seven or anything else you guys said. And there's, you know, it's all right that you got it wrong. I didn't know either. And I'm still, i reading the answer and I still don't understand. But if a third of the stars were swept down, and this is all the stars that we can at least see, it gives us a starting point. So let's just, for argument's sake, say, imagine that right now on this planet, there are 30 billion trillion bitter, Angry, doomed angels that chose poorly. And they are cursed. They're, their time is running out. They don't have a second chance that you and I do. They don't have, Jesus didn't come for them. He came for us because we were the victim in the crime. 30 billion trillion spirits rolling around town just waiting, just looking for an opportunity to tempt you and to convict you that you're worthless. And gar- Again, we're not alone down here. And God is reminding us this morning through this story of Asa that like Asa, we have an enemy. Like Asa, we are grossly outnumbered, but like Asa, help is literally one prayer away. As I thought about the spiritual battle, a psalm came to mind in my quiet time, Psalm 118. We're going to talk about this psalm today and next Sunday, but Psalm 118, 1 through 4, Understanding that we're in a spiritual battle, understanding that we're outnumbered, understanding that there's literally a war going on all around us all day long, every day for our souls, which starts with our minds, understanding all of that. Here's this psalm written in kind of wartime that says this, give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord. You're outnumbered. You have no hope on your own. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord, who respect God, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. We have a mortal enemy on this planet. It's not just one dark angel, it's all of them, and he is fighting us for our very souls, our very salvation. And what does God want us to do? Remember and repeat God's faithful love for you endures forever. It doesn't matter what you come up against. It doesn't matter how beat up you feel, how scared you get. God's faithful love for you endures forever. You know, if God repeats something in Scripture, He wants you to notice. He wants you to remember. He says this four times. And so we're going to take advantage. We're going to obey the Scriptures. And I want you to reach under your seats and grab your pen and paper. And you can write it pretty. You can write it fast. You can write it artistically. I want you to write down right now God's faithful love for me endures forever. God's faithful love for me endures forever. I'm just going to say it again cuz it sounds good. God's faithful love for me endures forever. Psalm 118, 5 through 9, it continues. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me, and the Lord set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Real princes or spiritual principalities? I'd say both. All these amazing things that God is for us, that He cares about us, that He will help us, it's better to take what are those contingent on? The fact that we have distress in our life. We need those things because we have distress. Let's clarify, let's define what is this distress that God wants us to be aware of. Here's the definition: Distress is that which causes great pain, anxiety, or sorrow, acute physical or mental suffering, affliction, or trouble. You guys, every one of us in this room has at least one of those in our life today. Are you feeling great pain in your life today? Are you experiencing anxiety? Who's taking the star test this month? Anxiety. Are you feeling any amount or are you, are you overwhelmed with sorrow? Have you lost someone? Have you lost your way? Are you sad about anything? Yeah, we know sorrow. Acute physical suffering. Who's been to the dentist for a root canal? Acute physical suffering. Mental suffering, as I think the big one for all of us. Don't we torture ourselves with our thoughts? Don't we beat ourselves up? Don't you know that you are not alone, that that is not you alone torturing yourself, that you have a spiritual enemy that is causing you acute mental suffering by messing with your thoughts and your mind? We all know affliction. We've all had or are in some sort of trouble. And knowing that, what does God say to us? Pray to me and I will help you. I want to see if maybe we can get a little more interaction in there one more time before we move on. But do you have any of these and what's causing it? Somebody answer me. Does anybody have any sorrow, any affliction, anything bothering them and what's causing it? What do you got in the back? You and your dad's relationship. Man, me too. Me too. I haven't talked to him in months. And just thinking about him causes me acute mental suffering as I'm like, is he even alive right now? Like, I haven't seen him. He's an alcoholic. He could, he could be gone. I relate with you, Miles. Who else? Who's got some pain, some suffering? What's causing it? Doesn't have to be anything major, but it could be. What do you got, honey? Geometry. Geometry. Math sucks. Math is the devil. I hate it. I still have dreams at 42 of being in high school and going to a math test, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I saw a hand over here. What you got? Did you say scurvy? Surgery, surgery too? Yeah, Taylor's got to have surgery. I don't like the idea of that. That's scary. Matthias, French class. That's right, French. No, no, I got it. Anybody else? What do you got, Bean? Passing my CBMA test. Passing your test in two weeks. What do you got? Uh, colleges. Colleges. That's. Huge. I mean, that's the next four years of your life, right? You should pray about it. God knows exactly where you're supposed to go. So you guys have examples, and I know for every hand up, there's like 30 that didn't. You know what it is to suffer. I want you to, again, take your card and pen, and underneath that promise of God that his faithful love endures forever, underneath it because it's less than, underneath it because it's not as big as, I just want you to write, what's stressing you out? What's causing you anxiety? Sorrow, pain. This is just between you and the Lord. Nobody's peeking over your shoulder, and if they are, man, they got their own problems, but just between you and the Lord. He wants to deal with your distress today. Just own it. Just be honest with him and write it out. And if there's more than one, take your time. But I'm going to keep talking. We have spiritual enemies. We've clarified that. We have distress. We've clarified that. And yet, what does God want us to remember in spite of those things? If you pray to me, if you talk to me, if you're honest with me about it, as you are all doing right this moment, I will answer you. I will speak to you about it. I will tell you the truth in the face of the lie that if you choose poorly, your life is over. If you don't do perfectly on the test, that you're just finished. I will tell you the truth. I will encourage you. I will love you. God is reminding us this morning that when we pray, just the act of praying, when we read the Bible, just the act of reading it, that as we do so, God will remind us, I am with you. I am for you. You have nothing to be afraid of. And that's good news, you guys, because I feel like I've got everything to be afraid of. Brooke is pregnant again, and I'm just like, oh, what do we do? Not, there's nothing I can do. So I'm going to pray about it and just, God, give me peace. And I have to pray it multiple times a day. And yet, every time I pray it, it's better. There will be some of you taking that star test tomorrow or this month, and you're going to start freaking out when you read that question. You're like, I have no idea. You should pray in the moment, God, give me peace. And you know what? If you could, I wouldn't mind the answer. doesn't hurt to ask. Seven. It is better to trust in God than people. And that's a huge sin issue for me, because when I get in trouble, the first thing I want to do is run to my people and talk to them about it. And that's Okay but I should run to him first because he knows better than they do. He knows better than I do. It is better to trust in people than princes. People pray to like their guardian angel, even if they don't believe in God. Don't, don't cut out the middle man. Go to Jesus. Pray to him. It is better to trust in God than presidents. Trump can't save me. He didn't know my name. God knows my name. God can save us. It is better to take refuge in God than anything else in the world. Anything else in your life that you are depending on to help you, to save you, God is better. When I was growing up, I looked up to my dad, as many of us do. You look up to the father figure in your life, and you know what? I love my dad, but he let me down. I will let my kids down in one way or another because I am just me. Brooke looked to me our first year and a half of marriage thinking, because I led her to faith, that I was her Jesus, like I was her own personal savior. And I was like, no, it was, it was Jesus. But she kept looking to me, and the pressure of having to have all the answers and do everything perfectly, I couldn't handle it. I'm just a person. People are good. Parents are good. We should talk to people. We should rely on them to be there for us. But it is better to take refuge in God. And people, my dad let me down, so I made my brother, my older brother, my idol. And he was my go-to, like I just think, what would he do? I would, th- I would come to him when I had problems until the day he came home from college one weekend and to entertain his friends was just shooting me with a pellet gun while I slept. My brother let me down. People can hurt us. Doesn't mean no more people, but like it is better to take refuge and to place our trust in God. Than in people. I tried putting my trust and find my refuge in relationships, friends, girlfriends, and became a codependent until I couldn't be by myself. I didn't even know who I was alone. That let me down. Then I put my faith and my trust and made my refuge alcohol. Do you have something you're using to numb the pain of your distress? Do you have something where you just immediately go and that's your hidey hole when things get tough? It is better to take refuge in God than that. In fact, most of those things make it worse, and you know it. I know some of us just immediately turn to pornography when we're feeling stressed out. It's a release. It's not. You know how you feel when you're done. Guilty, ashamed, Worse than, it is better to take refuge in the Lord. Some of us turn on the television and watch eight hours. Some of us sleep until, like our alarm goes off and we just hit it, we go to sleep even deeper. Some of us just disappear into video games. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than in any of that stuff. So what is your refuge? Where do you like to hide? Just be honest with the Lord. He wants to talk to you about it. He wants to let you know, I have better for you. It's not shame on you for finding refuge in this. It's, I have better. I have so much better like you can't even imagine. Is your refuge your friends? God is better. Is it your family? Great, but God is better. Is it food? Is it drugs? Is it it medication? Fine. God is better. Nothing compares to, nothing saves like Jesus. He will never let you down. If you are honest with him, if you obey him, and not perfectly, like he's just looking for you to try. If you just trust him, take some baby steps of faith toward him, he will never let you down. I have learned that. And in, in learning that, that Jesus is trustworthy, that being honest with him with my garbage is good, something I've learned that I feel like we need to hear this morning is that you will begin to see Jesus not just the way he was on earth, but the way he is right now in heaven. When we think of Jesus on earth, we think of this soft, kind shepherd that was always like walking around with a lamb, petting it, and he's just like, how's it going? You want to have some fish with me? Let's hang out. But there is so much more to our king Than that, he wasn't just this sweet, soft, cuddly guy, although he was those things. And frankly, I need him to be those things sometimes. But I also need him, and you need him in this life filled with distress and a spiritual oppression and dark armies coming against you to be more than that, to be the king, to be the conqueror that he is right now. He's literally up there just looking at his father saying, can I go rescue them now? Can I go get him now? Like, I'm just picturing it right now. He wants to save you today. And you can receive that today by just saying, I I do need you. I know some of the stuff you guys are going through. I love hearing about it. I'm honored to pray with you. I cannot save you, but he can. I just, I hurt for you guys. And I would ask you the question, are you not tired of life and fear and intimidation pushing you around? Ask for help. Be honest with God. When you are and when you do, he protects you. He will bless you. And he will make it like you're just walking through this field of trouble, this army that was coming against you. And all you have to do now is pick up treasures and lessons and good things. Just like Asa. They never had to lift their swords. I want you to bring that distress into your mind that you wrote down a moment ago. I just want you to look at the word or think of the situation or the relationship that's causing that pain for you. I want you to think about how you feel when you wake up in the middle of the night and you're just freaking out. I want you to let yourself just touch the anger or the fear or the shame that is trying to rule you and discourage you and I just want you to hear, as I believe God wants every one of us, myself included, to hear, as scary and as intimidating as that feeling is, that emotion is, our enemy is. And I'll talk about it next week, but I've seen it with my own eyes before, and it is, it is dark. As bad off it is, as that is, it has nothing. It cannot hold a candle to how amazing and powerful and mighty your Savior is right now looking down and listening to this sermon from heaven. Listen to how Jesus is described in Revelation. How he desires to be for you right now. Not against you, but for you. I saw heaven opened and a white horse was standing there and its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and he wages a righteous war on your behalf. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were not just one, but many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, the armies of heaven, Lucifer's got a third. We still got two thirds, not that we need him because we got Jesus, but the armies of heaven, picture them beyond number, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, and they followed him. They obeyed him. They looked to him from white horses and from Christ's mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron rod and he will release the fierce wrath of God the almighty like juice flowing from a wine press and on his robe at his thigh was written this title king of kings and lord of lords i want to hang out with that guy i want to stand behind that guy and say Is that really all that you had for me in that life? Because this guy and his armies, they've got my back. But you guys, do you understand? You don't have to wait for them to have your back. They have your back, and Jesus has your back right now. And all he's waiting for is you to be honest about where you're hurting and ask for help. That's all Asa did. This is more than we can handle, God. Will you help us? Oh, yeah. Check this out. I think God wants us to really be serious this semester as he has all year so far to challenge us to repent, to challenge us to change the way that we think about who, exactly who Jesus is. He's not just sweet, you guys. He's strong. He is not just patient, but powerful. And he is not just kind. He is a conqueror. And he is all of that and more not against you, but for you. We are not his enemy. Satan is, and he has no chance. But if you don't ask for him to be your savior, if you don't ask for him to help you, you have no chance. I have tried to fight that fight on my own, and I'll talk about it next week. It is a forever losing battle. Until I asked for Jesus to help me, I did not stand a chance. Psalm 118 continues, 10 through 13. When hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and they attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best. They are right now doing their best, some of them successful against you right now, tonight, today, in doing their best to kill you. But if you're honest and you ask for help, the Lord will rescue you. Like now, like today, like before you leave the room. This picture in Psalm 118 is so personal for me because I lived this this past year. Brooke and I walked through this in 2017. My team experienced people and the spiritual authorities in the dark places coming against us like we've never seen. They came against us with all the heat and pressure of a fire. What can I do in the face of a wall of fire? They came against us with the insanity and the chaos of a swarm of bees, which are just like, I don't even know what to do here. But we just remembered God. We remembered his faithful love endures forever. We remembered to say, this is more for me. Please help me. I need you. And all God said was, just stand there. It'll pass. I'm with you. I'm for you. It is better to rely on me than to fight back, than to take revenge. Because God has the final word, it doesn't matter if people betray you or come against you. It doesn't matter if you start seeing some spooky stuff or being afraid of the spiritual war that is being waged against you right now. None of that matters because Jesus has the final word. He is the word and his word is this, you are mine, I love you, I am for you. If you need help, ask for it today. I'm not saying that to you. I'm saying that to you and to you and to you. And to, I'm saying that directly to every one of you that's in a chair right now. He loves you. He is for you. He is waiting for you to ask for help. And as we have established in the last two weeks, when we're honest with God, when we do our best, not perfection, to do our best to obey what God calls us to do, He rescues us, he protects us, and he blesses us. I want that not only for me, but for every one of you in this room. And man, if you don't think you need it, you are dead wrong. There are forces at work in this world that are bigger than us. There are feelings inside of you that you have no control over. There are emotions rattling around you. There are hurts behind you, challenges in front of you. There's just too much for me to handle and you. But they are not too much for Jesus. And all he is saying to you in light of whichever one of those is like the worst for you is this. Give your burdens. Give your distress to me. I will take care of it. I will not permit you to slip and fall. All he's waiting for is for us to ask for help. I want to read 2 Chronicles 14 again, as we close and the band makes their way up here, and I want you to hear it with fresh ears, knowing all that we just talked about. The power of distress, and yet the power of Jesus. The fact that we are in a spiritual battle. Once, an Ethiopian named Zerah attacked Judah with an army of a million men. 300 chariots. Therefore, the Judean king Asa, God's kid, just like us, who believed and obeyed God, just like us, he deployed his armies for battle, and then he cried out to the Lord his God, O Lord, no one but you can help the powerless against the mighty, so help us, O Lord our God. Do not let mere men prevail against you. And so the Lord defeated The one million in the presence of Asa and the army of Judah and the enemy fled. And Asa and his army pursued them as far as Gerar. So many Ethiopians had fallen that they were unable to rally. They were destroyed by the Lord and by his army. And then the army of Judah carried off vast amounts of plunder. He asked for help. He was honest with his situation and God protected them and God blessed them and God literally had them walk through the battlefield never having to hurt another person but just pick up treasure. It's the same for you if you will be honest with God this morning and ask him for help. And you know you need it. I need it. So I want to invite you and share with you how we can respond today. The main way being, take that card and take that pen and why don't you just write a prayer to the Lord and just be honest with Him. Is there your conversations between Him? I'm not going to come through and read it and be like, oh my God, you're struggling with what? Like, this is what God has been waiting to hear from you. This is between you and Him. But as you do so, I want to put up those words from Revelation 19. Because the reality is, many of you have probably prayed this before, but maybe you have forgotten. Maybe you don't realize this is the God you are praying to. He's not some sweet guy that you're trying to get the attention of. He is this mighty, conquering king. That's who you're inviting to wage war on your behalf. And if maybe the main thing for you today is to just change the way that you think about Jesus, perhaps there's a one-liner or a sentiment in these verses that describe your savior that you just need to grab onto and cling to and own and admit to yourself and repeat. Maybe you need to see Jesus as this titan with flames of fire in his eyes. Maybe you just need to picture your king showing up with an army behind him saying, where do you need me? Write it out, draw a picture of it, I don't care. But invite Jesus into your situation, knowing that if you ask for help, if you're honest about where you're at, He will help you. He will rescue. He will be for you like never before.